tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Hello. I don't know. Today's reading is, I find, well, kind of inscrutable. Um, much of the, uh, um, much of the, the, uh, I don't know if he said he was inscrutable. I always say God is much too simple for the complicated human mind to ever possibly understand, but I don't know if that's true either. Yes, the Lord is hidden in cloud. I think that's somewhere in the big book on the coffee Romans table. Romans 11.33? Yeah, something like that. Well, let's read that for the fun of it. Ro- well, let's pray first. We've got to pray or we're, we'll really be off the tracks. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit. They shall be created, and you shall be the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God cast into hell Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, what is that? What is the the text you just mentioned, your voice in my head? Father, this is Romans Romans 11.33. Yes, yes. Oh, the depth of the... Well, I won't jump on it. I won't step on it. Oh, well, you can... You can oh, the read it. depth of the riches yeah. of the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tra- tracing out. Or how inscrutable his ways. Well, we can at least try. <laughs> the Lord may be inscrutable, but well, that doesn't stop us from trying. All right, let's go to the big book on the coffee table. <laughs> Maybe it's difficult because of my harebrained theory that, that this is about, this is a well-named letter, the letter of the Hebrews. A voice in my head asked me uh, earlier, as we were getting ready for the show, um, do you think Paul wrote this? And, of course, most scholars would say Paul um, didn't write it. I don't think it's impossible that Paul wrote it because it is so Talmudic, and so is the letter to the Romans. To me, there are some interesting similarities between this letter to the Hebrews and the letter to the Romans. It's, it's a way of thinking, you know, that, that, um, the letter to the Romans, I believe was, is I, oh dear, uh, boy, am I off the track, but, ah, uh, what, whatever <laughs> I'm having fun. The letter to the Romans, I believe is the foundational document of the Roman church, uh, which, of which I happen to be a member because there were Christians in Rome quite early on. But there was a riot, apparently, in the Jewish community. We read about it in the Roman authors, the non-biblical authors like Suetonius and Tacitus and all those folks. 
and the uh, this this community was expelled by Claudius. That would have been, I think, you know, uh, I, I think around 52 A.D. We see in the Acts of the Apostles that uh, uh, Paul meets Priscilla and Aquila, who had been exiled from Rome. Well, Nero was made emperor, and his girlfriend um, uh, was a, a, a lover of the Jews, and so the Jews began to come back into Rome. And the the, the problem was that that um, Jews were not getting along with Jews about whether or not Jesus was the Messiah, and of course, Jews were not getting along with Greeks, uh, Greek speakers, that is, non-Jews, and there were a lot of Greek speakers in Rome at the time. Um <clears throat> And so Paul is kind of giving a a Torah, uh, in the letter of the Romans, I think he's giving a Torah-based uh, justification for, allow, for considering non-Israelites to be Israel. Uh, and that's, I think, you know, he's establishing the universality of the gospel for Jews and for non-Jews. And, you know, we think, well, Jews are a tiny fraction of the world's population. They weren't back then. Uh, they were about 10% of the Roman Empire, at least. Uh, and, and then there were more Jews in the Persian Empire. So Jews were a very significant uh, ethnicity in the ancient world. Uh, and they didn't really get along with anybody else <clears throat> because they were so strict in their monotheism. And this was a, a polytheist world. Also, the Romans had real problems with the Jews because the Persians... The Iranians were largely as if monotheistic. They were followers of, many of them were followers of Zoroaster, which believed in, a, in a, two gods, one being the true god. Uh, uh, Mazda was the, the god, uh, the good god, and then there was Ahriman, the, the evil god. It was a sort of um, dualism, but, but essentially it was a monotheism. So Jews and and Persians tended to get along a lot better than Jews and Greco-Romans because Jews and Greco-Romans had a God for everything. And uh, so we see at different moments in history where the Jews were aligned with the enemies of Rome. And this is part of the root of, of modern anti-Semitism, I, th I think. So uh, at any rate, that has nothing to do with anything other than the, the fact that I think that the letter of the Hebrews and the letter of the Romans, I think... Are stylistically more similar than most people uh, notice or, or think. And again, I would go with real scholars instead of me. Remember, I'm not a real scholar. I just play one on the radio. All right, let us look at today's thank you, grain of salt. Uh, let us look at the letter of the Hebrews, where sixth chapter, tenth verse. First of all, I had a, a problem wondering what what it meant when further down, sort of toward the middle of the reading, that that uh, God intervened with an oath so that uh, by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have taken refuge might be strongly encouraged to hold fast the hope that lies before us. That what are the two things? Well, the notes that I looked at said a promise and an oath. He swore an oath and made a promise and God cannot lie. Therefore, we have the oath and the promise. Okay. That's pretty Talmudic to me. Well, let's look at the whole reading, though. We we go down to the end. Again, this is all, I think, about justifying the idea that Jesus is, in fact, both king and priest. He is the king of 
of, well, we was the king of everything, but uh, um, he's the king of, of Israel and Judah. So how can he be a priest? Because he's a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And very significantly, Melchizedek offered bread and wine. Uh, you look in the, in the book of uh, uh, Genesis and you see Abraham fighting the enemies of, of Melchizedek. Uh, who were also Abraham's enemies, who kidnapped his nephew Lot and taken all of their property. And so Abraham fought with, uh, with the side that, uh, that, uh, in which Melchizedek participated. And so he was blessed by Melchizedek, thus proving the superiority of Melchizedek and his priesthood, even to Abraham. And that's a big step for Jews. Uh, that Melchizedek had a superiority to Abraham, and thus the priesthood of Melchizedek had a superiority to the priesthood of the descendants of Abraham. So that's that's what's going on here, that Abraham had received a promise, and uh, a good grief, something just, you know, I wonder why, why computers do this. It's just all of a sudden... It wants me to look at something. I'm busy now. I can't oh, look at $5,000 for a computer, uh, and it can't handle a simple assignment. And whatever has just jumped onto my computer won't go away, so I will have to get out of this window oh, totally. Oh, good grief. Oh, and it won't go away. I think I see the little X there. Ah, no, no, it won't go away. <sighs> All right. Oh, well, there, it's gone away. No, something else has popped up. Computers are... are they're crazy. All right, let's get back this to the, the reading worst day if I can. Of my life. No, it's no, it's, it's not. It really so isn't. Far. <laughs> That's pretty funny, in a sad, sad way. All right, we're back to the the reading. All right, um, let's see. Well, God is not so unjust as to overlook your work. Well, what's he talking about? Look at the whole chapter. Therefore, we read the uh, letter of the Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 1. Let us leave behind the basic teaching about the Messiah and advance to maturity without laying the foundation all over again, repentance from dead works and faith in God. This is a huge Reformation phrase. Now, when the scripture is talking about dead works, it's talking about works of the law. Instructions about baptisms, laying out of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. If we do this, we shall do this if God permits. It's impossible. In the case of those who've once been enlightened and tasted the heavenly gift and shared the Holy in the Holy Spirit, tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, he's talking about the experience of, of the believer, that we enter into these things in a way that, that you don't with the law. You know, when he's talking about the dead works of the law, and I think that's what he's he's talking about, um, uh, these things are not, uh, they're not living in a sense. They're real and they're important, but they don't breathe. Uh, I, I'm always telling you that the word pneuma, the word for spirit, means breath. And this this sharing in the Holy Spirit of which he talks about is a, a living conversation with God. And, you know, God doesn't reveal anything in the spirit that he hasn't already revealed 
in, in the text of Scripture There's and, and in the tradition of the church. There's going to be nothing new. However, the Spirit brings these things to life. You know, the, the law we read elsewhere in the Scriptures, the law was written on stone that that the Holy Spirit writes his law on our hearts, that, that he'll take out the heart of stone and put in the the heart of, of, of flesh, something that's living and breathing. And, you know, I get so many questions about the rules, and the rules are very important. I don't want anybody to think the rules aren't important. But the rules are motivated by... Our obedience to the rules is motivated by our love for God, that that we can obey the rules because they're rules, and we're afraid of the consequences for disobeying the rules, and that's a good thing. But that leads to an attitude uh, in which we want nothing but rules. You know, it, it's always interesting to me. I, once I was with, um, uh, <clears throat> I was kind of counseling a marriage, and, and uh, uh, these were wonderful folks, Puerto Ricans, and um, I remember I was invited to lunch at, at a whole big family gathering of this extended Puerto Rican family. And there was a, um, <clears throat> the grandmother of the family was this kind of wizened, uh, shriveled little old lady, uh, who smoked fairly heavily. And her son said to her, her daughter said to her, mama, you should join the Pentecostals. They forbid a lot of things that Catholics allow. I think what? <laughs> and admittedly, the woman should have stopped smoking and probably should have stopped years and years before. But I thought that was a fascinating phrase that this religious group has rules that the Catholics don't have. And that was a good thing. Um, I remember back in the 60s, an experiment. Uh, it, it, uh, I don't want to go into it too much because now, of course, I think it would be cause for lawsuit. But but there was a, a a psychological institute. A friend of mine was apprenticing there, and there were autistic children, and they would put a, a sort of belt on these kids that gave them a very mild shock when they did something they shouldn't be doing. That sounds horrible. But these kids apparently would run in uh, to the classroom and put on their belt anxiously because they were so grateful for some restraint. I don't know what the particular uh, uh, condition they had was. Uh, and, and as I say, I don't think we would do that now. This was in the 60s, uh, 50 years ago. Uh, but it's interesting that when people feel out of control, I had a couple of cousins who joined the Jehovah's Witnesses because they had lots of rules. This is fascinating to me. Uh, uh, the, the voice might just whisper, when love languishes, law flourishes. Good saying. I want the rules because I know I need limits. However, we obey the rules and we are conscious. We want to look further than the rules because we have come to love the Lord and experience his love. That's this idea that, that, we have been enlightened and tasted God's heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit. And then if you fall away from that, it's, it's almost impossible to come to repentance again. They are recrucifying the Son of God for themselves and holding him up to contempt. Ground that has observed rain falling upon it repeatedly brings forth a, a good harvest. But if it produces thorns and thistles, it's rejected. So what 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 the author is saying is, is that uh, 
if you have been if you've experienced a living relationship with God and then rejected it, you're rejecting a whole lot more than even rejecting the law. So this is kind of complicated, uh, as I said. Uh, but what he's doing is critiquing, I think, the the old law, um, that that it was not a thing that breathed. It was very important, but it didn't breathe. Hooey. Then we go to this next reading, which talks about the same thing. Mark, the second chapter, the 23rd verse. Jesus was passing through a field of grain on the Sabbath. His disciples began to make a path while picking the heads of grain. At this, the Pharisees said to him, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? They were breaking the law three ways. They were harvesting grain by picking it. They were uh, th- uh, threshing it by rubbing it in their hands to get the chaff off. And they were winnowing it by blowing the chaff off their hands. So they just had the grain to eat. They had broken the law in three ways. Now, who were the Pharisees? So often, if someone calls you a Pharisee, you take it as an insult. It should be a compliment. The Pharisees were a, a, a political group. They were not clergy. They were a political group. There were maybe five, 6,000 of them. There weren't that many. Um, they swore to uphold all 613 uh, commandments of the law. I don't know if that's uh, the number 613 is more medieval, but every commandment of the law and the rabbinical interpretations there too. Uh, so they were not the, the conservatives. We think of the Pharisees as the conservatives. They were the liberals. The Sadducees reserved the worship of the temple for themselves. The Pharisees believed that the rules of the temple should include all Israelites. And then they thought of ways to live with those rules because some were very difficult. Um, but they were big on the rules and there was no flexibility on the rules. And by their interpretation, Jesus was clearly uh, uh, breaking the Sabbath and allowing his descendants to break the Sabbath. And he talks about an incident. Now, there's a problem he, how, have you never heard of David, how he went into the house of God when Abiathar was high priest? Text doesn't say that. It says in the days of Abiathar. Abiathar was the high priest under David, but he lost his high priesthood to Zadok. So in the days of Abiathar would have meant before the, the high priesthood of Zadok. So Abiathar had been high priest. Text doesn't say when Abiathar was high priest. That's a great problem because it would mean that Jesus didn't know his Bible. Uh, and therefore, this could not have been literal or Jesus didn't know the Bible very well because this was uh, uh, when when the ark was reserved at Shiloh and David went in to to he needed bread and a weapon. And uh, he conned them out of uh, the priests. Uh, uh, the, uh, the, I guess the priests was it a shrine at Nob. I'm, I'd have to look it up. But he he he. Uh, um, Conned, um, I think it was Ahimelech was the priest, conned him out of these things, and technically only the priest could eat the, that bread, but well, in this case, he could make an exception uh, under certain circumstances. And it was in the days of Abiathar. Well, Abiathar was the only one of that group that survived because Saul killed them all for assisting David. Uh, it's a little complicated, but uh, there are people I know who have grave objections uh, or, or grave reservations to the truth of Scripture 
uh, because it talks about when Abiathar was high priest. It does not say that. It says in the days of Abiathar, which would have meant in the period before Zadok. At least that's the way I read it. Well, but let's get to the, the substance of this, that that Jesus is pointing out that in the in the in the story of David, there's exception. Now, I've maintained the gospel of Mark is about the divinity of Christ. And Jesus, when he heals, for instance, the paralytic who's lowered down through the roof, and he says, your sins are forgiven, who but God can forgive sin? In other words, Jesus is saying, I can forgive sin because I'm God. And here he says, the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He's referring to himself as the son of man, the celestial visitor. Uh, and lo and behold, uh, um, uh, he says that this son of man, me, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Whoa. In other words, he can change the law. This is this is astonishing. I remember Rabbi Lefke was telling me, you know, when the Messiah comes, we still can't eat shrimp. Um, and and uh, this Christian idea that the Messiah can change the law, where is that in the Torah? And I maintain the verse in Scripture which says, uh, a teacher will come after me. Moses says, a teacher will come after me. Uh, hear him. In other words, there's going to be a new Moses. And the Messiah is not just the Messiah. He's also the new Moses. And Jesus, we see in the, the Gospel of Matthew, goes up the hill as Moses went up Mount Sinai. But he gives the law. He gives the new law of, of the kingdom. So, you know, people get all upset about, well, sh- in fact, I've got a letter here. Well, shouldn't we be doing this? Shouldn't we be doing that? How come this changed? How come that changed? Rules are very important. But when you love the rule simply because it is a rule and not because it is a word or grace from God, then you maybe have to examine yourself. All right, let's let's go to a break and uh, we'll come back with uh, with uh, uh, letters. And you can call in at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, provides a rigorous liberal arts education that forms the whole person for wisdom, truth, and virtue. Learn more about The Catholic University for Independent Thinkers at RelevantRadio.com forward slash UDallas. Well, I'm going to tag along with Jesus. I'm going to keep tagging along. Well, if I keep telling the story... Oh dear. I, I, oh dear. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I hate sounding liberal. That last schmear sounded liberal. And I really believe in the rule. You got to follow the rules. Ten Commandments are grace. You know, it's like the, the yucky sticker on the bottle of bleach that you put on for your kids. Uh, that, that God says, don't touch, don't go there, don't do that. This is grace. But why do we obey it? We start, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The end of wisdom is love. And, and our relationship to the Lord, when we have experienced his love, is to love him in return. And if he asks these things, even if I don't understand why, I'm going to do them. Uh, um, 
because because I know he loves me. And as that text was saying, he he promised these things. He swore an oath and he made a promise. And we can trust that. So um, I don't know. Uh, let's go to letters. letters. Okay. Um, I, there's a bunch of letters that I, I didn't transfer to this other computer that I think I'm going to want to look at. But let's look at some of the ones I got here. All right. This is from Dan. And it's two questions. Uh, and it was about something we were talking about the other day. Uh, valid baptism. And we solved the issue. We, we really did. Um, somebody asked me the question, can priesthood or diaconate ordinations, or I suppose even Episcopal ordinations, be... Um, be declared null, invalidated? And the answer is yes, they can. They can't be taken away. The, the grace of the sacrament cannot be taken away in the sacrament of uh, confirmation, baptism, uh, holy orders. Uh, these leave indelible marks on the soul. Uh, we can lose the grace, for instance, of of the sacrament of penance, by sinning again, uh, and as we can with the grace of uh, uh, the anointing of the sick, but and and of course marriage uh, is ended by death, uh, at least the the physical state of relationship. Um, so the problem was that there was a priest, and there are probably many priests who. Uh, uh, were baptized in the 60s and 70s with an invalid baptismal formula. And so they're not, they're not baptized Christians. And you can't receive a sacrament of the church without baptism. Baptism is the doorway to the other sacraments. This priest had to be, re, he had to be baptized validly and then reordained. So all sorts of people were worrying about, uh, were the sacraments conferred by this priest valid? Well, no. Mass, if you received the Eucharist and a Mass that this priest offered before he was validly baptized and reordained, no. You received the grace of the sacrament, but you didn't receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. And one of his Masses is horrible. I mean, he was so grieved by this. He sounds like, from what little I know, is a, a very mainline priest a very good man and of course he is validly ordained now but we solved the problem because anyone can baptize if they have the intention and use the the form of baptism uh, that the church has so if you intend what the church intends and do what the church does any human being can baptize another ba uh, person uh there's a saying in moral theology, nemo dat quod non habit. Nobody gives what he doesn't have. So you think, well, someone who's been baptized couldn't confer baptism. But it's the Lord that confers the sacrament. And the church, through the church, that the Lord confers the sacrament. So the church does have that, that grace and has the, the keys of the kingdom. So a person doing what the church does and intending what the church intends can baptize. So that said... Uh, um, would God consider an invalidly baptized priest a priest due to the priest's ignorance and his desire from, uh, and, and goodwill? Yeah, essentially, that that's the idea that, that, for instance, well, I went to confession to this priest, that me my sins weren't forgiven. No, you received the grace of the sacrament, even though the sacrament itself was not conferred. Uh, that, that, that God... Uh, 
God is not the devil is a is a is a punctilious uh, um, observer of the rules. God gives us the rules to give us life, and we read in the Catechism that we are obliged to the sacraments, but God is not. Um, so if if you are worried about that, don't worry about it. So um, uh, the second Dan mentions this the second. Uh, 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 yes, Dan says, I would hope that God would supply the grace to make up for the sin of another. Yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, you may not have the sacrament in itself, but the grace of that sacrament and the, the mercy of God prevail. So what is meant by saying the soul is the form of the body? <clears throat> well, this is something that I never quite managed to understand as a, as a, student of philosophy, but I will give it a, a, in philosophy, when you talk about the form, the morphe in Greek, it is the reality of a thing. Uh, Plato believed that there was a world that just had forms in it. Uh, Aristotle didn't think of the forms as, as spiritual things, but the form in philosophy is the arrangement or organization of certain elements so that they become the thing uh, so that they become a thing. Let us look at the example of a chair. A chair can be made out of metal or wood, or I suppose uh, dark chocolate if you want. And it has the form of a chair. So it is clearly a chair. The, the material, the matter of the chair is optional. And there's something called accidents in philosophy. We think of an accident as, oops, <laughs> I just rammed your car. No, but the word in Greek is a sumbebekos. <laughs> which comes from the verb symbina, which means things that go together. That's all that means. Symbina, things that happen along. For instance, uh, the, we have the form of mustard, uh, the reality of mustard from mustard seeds. It can be brown. It can be yellow. These are accidents. These are these are accompaniments. The word accident in philosophy means accompaniment. And that's as far as I can go with it. So going back to the letter, that the soul is the form of the body. I, I don't know that 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 uh, that that uh, a better philosopher would have to tell me if that is so. But a form is a shape. You're right. The soul is invisible. It would seem to make more sense to say the body is the form of the soul. No, no, no. The soul, the body has a form and the soul has a form, I would say that that these are both manifestations of a deeper thing i think which is the living being this the pneuma so you know this this pro why does this even come up because saint thomas aquinas talks about body and soul we're accustomed to talking about body and soul an immortal soul a mortal body but then saint paul throws a monkey wrench in it by saying body soul and spirit and after contemplating these things many many years I have come to the conclusion that I am a spirit who manifests itself in an immortal soul and in a, in a mortal body. Um, I'm thinking about these things, Dan, and, and pondering them, and uh, I don't know if I've shed any light on it at all, but the form is the essential reality of a thing. The accidents or the, 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 sumbebico, the sumbebicos, the, the accompaniments are 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 colors and and you know 
cushioning, that sort of thing. And the matter is the thing from which it's made. So you've got matter, you have got uh, accidents, and you have form in that philosophical view of Plato and Aristotle and St. Thomas Aquinas. And uh, uh, yes, the voice manager said, I'm the former broadcasting. Yeah, right. Uh, I don't think so. I'm, I'm one of its accidents. Okay. We're going to move on to another letter. Hopefully something that is more, more clear. This is uh, from William and uh, it's about his, his, William is a convert to the Catholic faith and he can be a bit zealous about the church being the true historic church. And I'm zealous with right there with you um, that, that I have no doubt that the, the, the universal church um, and it's uh, governed and, and united by the papacy is the church established by Jesus through the ministry of the apostles. No other church can make that claim. The Orthodox churches can claim apostolic origin, but they've left out the universal nature of the church. And they would say, we have most certainly not. Well, I think practically speaking, it's very hard to be Orthodox. You're Greek Orthodox, you're Russian Orthodox. This relationship of the, of the Eastern Roman Empire with the structure of the church really created the churches that we now call Orthodox. And I, I, a good book on the subject is um, uh, Crocker's book, uh, the, the Triumph, The Power and the Glory of the Catholic Church. I cannot recommend that too much. Um, it's a wonderful book. Uh, so, okay, let's get back to this one. Um, I don't critique, uh, you know, he said I was being a little generous to Protestants. I don't critique the generosity. I'm only curious as to how we are to view the Protestant church today. In reading the church fathers, I see how they consider those who deny the flesh of Christ in the Eucharist as heretics. And those are people are strongly admonished. Those who live outside the ecclesial communion were considered rebels and schismatics. But now in today's uh, time with Protestantism so normalized, I hear priests who, who seem to be fine with it. And have no desire to correct any Protestant errors. Um, you'll be fine as long as you love Jesus. And ultimately, I think that's true. That if you love the Lord and I love the Lord, um, well, we have a lot in common. However, uh, the the uh, I, I heard it said, was it Samuel Johnson who said, that he did not understand how a person could leave the Catholic Church. He was a Protestant. How, how a person could leave the Catholic Church for the Protestant without losing his mind because the Catholics have so much and the Protestants so little. If you are a Protestant who becomes a Catholic, you don't lose Jesus, you don't lose the Bible, you actually get a little more Bible, uh, but you, you gain all the other riches of the Church, the, the, the tradition of the communion of the saints and all that sort of thing. That's what Johnson was saying, that that I would I would... I think in this difficult age, what we have to stress is that we are united by the sacrament of baptism, that if a person is baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, according to the form that has been universally practiced, we have this in common, and we should see that we are members at least to that degree in the same communion. I think it's very important that we respect each other in these times, and we don't, we don't you know, we, we honestly disagree about some things, but to realize the, that our unity really does depend on Christ and being baptized into the body of Christ. Now, the, the, that isn't to deny the, the, uh, 
the truth of the faith. It isn't to deny the reality of of the church, I, I don't think. But I think it's very important that in these times in which, you know, what did Ben Franklin say about the, the, the founding fathers of America? Either we will hang together or we will hang separately. I think this can be said of Christians in our times. So uh, be zealous for the church. But on the other hand, recognize that, that um, and, and you know, the idea of schismatics and those are people who are willfully uh, in rebellion, willfully schismatic or willfully heretical. That that the reformers, I believe, who started the, the 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 this revolution made a big mistake, but their followers who have been raised in this, or who've never had the opportunity to understand the the richness and fullness of of traditional Christianity, well, they can't be held. Uh, for not adhering to something that has not yet been given to them. All right, with that said, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with what I think is a fascinating word of the day. Never will be, will be a wonderful song. A little fatalistic, but there you go. from Elizabeth and she asks what is the meaning of the word Lord the centurion addresses Jesus as Lord in Matthew 6 5 does this mean that he is calling Jesus God I have heard people say Lord God what does it mean in this instance oh this is complicated but I think I can knock it off quickly the word Lord means lots of things I will never forget a a friend of mine who was the 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 son of backslidden Presbyterians. I mean, he he had no religion to speak of. He came. He spoke Spanish fairly well, and he came to a Spanish mass. I was saying, and he thought, "Well, that was very nice, but why did you keep calling him Mister Jesus, <laughs> Señor Jesús? That means Lord Jesus, Señor Jesús. But the word Señor also means Mister. You know, Señor Señor Pérez. You know, Mister Pérez." The word Lord, what it really means is owner, and it's it's a deferential term. So in Hebrew, the word for Lord is Adonai. The word for Mr. is Adon. Uh, in in German, the word for Mr. is Herr, uh, H-E-R-R, but it's also what you call the Lord. So it's a very wide term, and... and uh, um, the centurion would have spoken, uh, he would have been using a respectful term and calling Jesus Lord. He would have saying, Mr. Jesus. In other words, just, hey, Jesus, Mr. Jesus. He was according him the polite title. I don't think he recognized him as God until after the, the servant was healed. Now, in, in Hebrew, the word... The name of God is Y-H-W-H, and no devout Hebrew will say that word. 
and I don't think, I think we should say it as minimally as possible. Pope Benedict, may rest in peace, said it can be used in scholarship, but it should not be used in worship because it's an affront to Jews. And it's, it's, you know, the word Jesus is YHWH saves. We know more about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because we know Jesus. So it's, it's, it's in a sense not appropriate because it is not enough and it's not appropriate because it, I think it's an insult to, to Orthodox Jewish people. YHWH. So when a, a, a Jew sees YHWH in the text of Scripture, he does not say that. He says Adonai, which means Lord. And if he's not in prayer, uh, he won't even say Adonai. He'll say Hashem. Now, when St. Paul says no one can say Jesus is Lord, He's saying no one can say Jesus is YHWH, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, except by the Holy Spirit. When when St. Paul refers to Jesus of Nazareth as Lord, as Kyrie, which would be the Greek word for Adonai, he's, he's I believe, recognizing in the divinity of Christ. So the word Lord can be a recognition of divinity. It can be a, 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 a greeting of respect. Um, so it's, it's, it's a little complicated. You have to, you can only interpret it by the context, but I think it is interesting for us when we see Jesus referred to as Lord by people like St. Paul, I think it's a clear recognition of the divinity of Christ. So that said, let's go to phone call. This is smart. Maxwell smart. Of course, everyone who listens to this show is smart, probably smarter than the host. David from Austin, Texas, what can I do for you? Hi, Father. Thank you for taking my call. I love your show. And I know well, I've, I'm a long-time listener. Valiant. Oh, dear. Go on. <laughs> but I've heard you touch on this topic many times, but it was never oh, exactly relevant to me. But now it really is, and I need advice. I have a son who is 25. He's in the autistic spectrum. He's technically got Asperger's. He's very bright, but he's just, I don't know that he's capable of living outside the house. So we have him here in the house with us. And he has recently told us that he would like to switch to a more feminine presentation. And I need advice on how to handle this. Yeah, I would ask him why. Have you asked him why? Yes, I did. And he got real uncomfortable and he doesn't want to talk about it. But in the past, uh, I have talked to us on this topic, talked to him on this topic and mm-hmm. it seems like he was saying that this would be a way to be more attractive to women, if you can believe it, uh, because um, I, don't, I don't really understand the reasoning, but there's like a big trend now. It's trendy, apparently, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. for men to oh, yeah. be feminine looking and, you know, like uh, Caitlyn Jenner. Right. I mean, that's exactly what's going on with him. And uh, yeah. I don't yeah, understand it's, 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 You know, it's it's. I think it's Munchausen syndrome by proxy, or not by proxy. It's Munchausen syndrome. You know, I am. Oh, poor me! I am a victim. You know that we we know we we. You know, my generation on, we're victims. Uh, our generation. You're probably a little younger than I am, but um, we're victims. Poor. Well, I'm in my mid sixties, so I am a little bit yeah, younger than you, but. Yeah, a little younger, but yeah, I think that's what's going on, uh, a kind of a Munchausen syndrome. And I would approach it that way. But I would, I would, I would, uh, you know, hang tough that I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not convinced. 
that that yeah. uh, uh, you're 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 a woman. Why you you can't even say why you want to do this? I want you to think about it. Right. why. And so he's yeah. uncomfortable. Well, yeah. And and the thing is that that um, you know I've loved you and known you all your life, and you're my son. Uh, yeah. That's that's my relationship to you. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would. That's I what would I told him. In the why. Yeah. Yeah. And, he, I told oh, him. Gosh. Look, I love you. I, I will always love you no matter what, but I disagree with what you're doing and I'm trying to engage with him, but I, I can't kick him out of the house. Right. Because he, no, I don't think he it, would. No, of course not. Why? But uh, I mean, what good would that do? You know? uh, well, I've heard you say in the past that if somebody won't accept, you know, certain topics, you just say, well, you know, I'm paying the bills and, you know, if you want to do this, go do what you want to do. But in this case, he's special needs and I don't think he could make it outside yeah. of the house. No, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. And and, and the, the tough love kind of thing has to do with someone driving drunk. <laughs> you know, I'm not going right. to buy you a new car and pay for your insurance, that kind of thing, uh, where it's it's a rule that they're an external rule they're breaking. Uh, your son is not breaking an external rule. He's there's something broken within and and. Uh, I have a suspicion that that uh, you know his his life has been difficult because of his his affliction and uh, oh he he's that's not even the straws. beginning of, it's been horribly yeah. difficult for him yeah yeah okay. yeah and and, and uh, a compounding issue is that here in Austin finding a therapist who is not either gay or very sympathetic to the gay trans community mm -hmm, is yeah. nearly impossible. Yeah, there's there's an organization called Catholic Therapists uh, that you might want to look at. They're they're pretty good in my experience. So, yeah, I I, I wouldn't you know because the society has gone mad. I don't think that you have to go mad or I do. Uh, that that um, uh, this is this is an insanity that's gripped the society, and and I think it is a, a kind of a great collective Munchausen syndrome. So. I will keep you in my prayers, but no, I think you're absolutely right. You can't kick him out, but I would, I would say, you know, you haven't convinced me that that you know, make it make it a matter of reason. I would think uh, um, that that um, you know, I, I have a, a great nephew who has uh, who's a high functioning autistic, and uh, and he's you know, great kid and very reasonable. Uh, I, I think that that. Uh, that in my experience, people who experience autism are not, they are not stupid, not at all. And, uh, um, uh, I, I would, I would, I would continue to be reasonable. I don't know if that sounds sensible to you, but, uh, that, 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 that would be my approach. Does that help a little, I hope. Yeah, it does. I'll do my best. But I, like I said, I think his high Q is probably about 20 points higher than mine. So reasoning with him is yeah. probably not my strong suit so but no but I, I asking the questions asking yeah. asking the questions having him ask himself questions exactly he's you know people who suffer from autism they're not stupid they're some of them are really brilliant so yeah all right i'll keep you in my prayers and and uh it's a boy it's a tough gig god bless you thank you father thank okay you. thank you let's go to joseph from alton illinois joseph what can i do for you Hi, Father. Peace be with you. Glad to hear you. Um, Thank you. I've come across a rosary that is uh, from Westminster Abbey. It was given to me by oh family who was just over in London. I've never heard of such a thing. And uh, okay. the rosary, the, the centerpiece, has a, a lady on the front of it with nine stars around it and a moon crescent. 
and the back of it has the uh, Immaculate Heart of Mary. At least it looks looks like it hmm. on the back. It's very small. And uh, hmm. that's just one part of it. But 5 o'clock in our time on a Lutheran station, we have a litany. They have a litany about uh, 512 to Our Lady. Oh my. Do you think she is the catalyst that could bring all these all our all our Protestant brothers back to the Catholic Church? Well, she is the mother of the church, and mothers like their children talking to each other. Uh, um, you know, the the nine stars. That's interesting. It, I I thought maybe Our Lady of Walsingham, but I don't think she uh, uh, has nine stars. Um, but yeah, I, I I you know I think in my experience, if you love the Blessed Mother, you end up loving the Church. You begin to see uh, um, uh, um, the Church is a family because families have mothers. Uh, if I have found that people who don't have a devotion to the Blessed Mother ultimately don't like the Church. So I, I think that, that the, the, the Blessed Mother, uh, um, uh, you know, I think that she could be the, the, a catalyst uh, for for uh, um, uh, the, the 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 unity of the church couldn't hurt, so that that's I think now the nine stars I'm I I'm usually the Blessed Mother is portrayed with twelve stars, uh, but I, I I'm not sure what the the nine stars are about. If someone knows, I'd love to know. So uh, that 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 circle of stars on the Blessed Mother, well, it's usually twelve. Because that's the the number of governance. So, um, uh, I, I, in the book of Revelation, she has on her head a crown of twelve stars. So, the nine mm -hmm, stars. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna. I'll. I'll. I'll try and research it. How's that? So, but meanwhile, thanks for calling in, and to not get your question answered. God bless you, Mary from from uh, Cedarburg. I got a minute. Throw me a softball. <laughs> well, you already spoke about Melchizedek, but every time mm -hmm. I see this in Scripture, I am confused. Two questions. <clears throat> well, Melchizedek was a contemporary of Abraham, so yeah. did, he, mm -hmm. did he worship the one true God? That's the first part. You know, the, the worship of, of the Lord, YHWH, under that title, seems to have been uh, uh, much more common at the time of the patriarchs than we originally would have thought you see it uh in different in different archaeological uh uh remnants however the idea that he was the only god that's new with abraham so melchizedek might have worshiped the lord among other gods uh but abraham came to realize there's only one god and this yhwh the creator of the universe is the only god so that's how I suspect it was. So, but speaking of suspicions, I suspect because I hear music in my head, Drew is coming up. So don't go anywhere. He's worshiping the one true God. <laughs> 